0: You and I should create an AI company called Albert. Episode 285, John. Can you believe that? No. I was thinking the other day, just uh, how much longer are we going to do this? <laughs> well I I looked and what did I say it had been? I texted you. It's like it's been eight years, I Eight think years. You said, yeah. Yeah. Over eight years. And we always forget. We're so bad at that. I actually put it on my calendar. I think I did. Maybe I didn't. Maybe this is my problem. Our anniversary. Yeah. Just so we know when to I noticed you didn't get me anything for our anniversary. Well, I forgot about it. That's the
1: problem. <laughs> anyway. At it again.
2: Another another episode. Yeah. Seems well, to be biweekly these days. But, yeah, uh, that was probably my fault because I was sick of it last week. I mean, I don't know that we could do every week
0: anymore. I don't know. What do you think?
2: Probably not. I
0: just don't. Uh, well, once
2: we get another developer on staff, I might be able to. But that doesn't solve your problem, do you?
0: I just, I don't even. It's not even a well. Time is always a thing, but like, even if time wasn't a thing, oh, content. Yeah, just I don't know. I don't know. The content writes itself. We're just sharing our experiences. See, if I had more time, I'd be able to do things like I don't know. Play around with uh, finally with uh, LWC or functions. I got us in the function. I got us the functions org. By the way,
2: yeah, I was gonna. Um, I'm hoping over the next few months that my workload might balance out a bit and I can spend some more time learning stuff.
0: But only last I... only last thirty days. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> there was a real limited number of them.
2: Really? Yeah. Well, and maybe it's maybe it's too early to learn about it unless you have a real world use case for it. I don't know. It's to me, it's synonymous with. How LWC started out, you know, it was a very a very V1 version of LWC that uh, morphed so much over time that it's almost unrecognizable in certain places. Is it really? Has LWC changed that much since, you think? Uh, maybe I'm thinking Aura. Aura is what I mean uh, when we talk about Lightning, because that was the original Lightning.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: yeah. So Aura, it, and with it being changed unrecognizably, being LWC.
0: It's weird that we call both of those things under the same name, Lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Although, half the things in Salesforce are Lightning. The other half are Einstein, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unless it uh,
2: crosses the uh, marketing boundary of Tableau, then then it's Tableau. Uh,
1: Yeah.
0: Is that what they call it? Sales Tableau? Yes. They renamed Einstein Analytics to Tableau CRM. So I guess they're going to, that indicates they're going to keep this Tableau brand going. Some of, them, some of them go away. I'm like, sure they need to reinforce that brand. I mean, why not? Well, here's an example. Uh, what was it, about four years ago, they bought a company called Crux. Uh-huh. I think, was it K-R-U-X or C-R-U-X? I mean, I know how to spell the word, but I forget how the company was spelled. Anyway, um, and that was a, um. God, there's all these terms, CMPs and DM, there was a DMP, data, data management platform. And I never, I've tried to go and read about that just a few times and I, I just don't get it. I, d- I just think it's not for, I mean, it was definitely not for me. Um, mm-hmm but i just don't fully understand it but anyway um so salesforce yeah they bought crux and that was their dmp and then at some point they renamed it to audience studio okay but now they're um this is just in the news that's the only reason i know this because they uh, there's i don't know if it's rumors or what because i couldn't find much else but i saw one thing about how it's being um it's they're pulling it it's going away um and what was its main purpose just or that's what we don't. Know. Well, that's you have to understand what a d- what a data management platform is, and that's I just it's uh, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> it's like I'm not sure I can explain it. It has something to do with and, and Salesforce. So Crux was a, it initially, or I guess Crux was always m- positioned for publishers. So it was some way. Like imagine if you're like a magazine publisher, right? Because mm-hmm. the publishers, you you probably know know this, but maybe people I think people don't think about this. Publishers, big businesses, is um, obviously ads are one, but selling their subscriber data is just that. That's giant. It's so profitable. That's where they. That's really where they make money. Um, I mean, if you want, let's say you want to market to, um people in a certain income in a certain uh, area or whatever um you know you can go to the new york times and they will sell you you know you can they'll sell you a very specific you know set of their subscriber data and it's very expensive but it can be if you're a marketer that can be very valuable you know if you're trying to market to you know very targeted very targeted group mm-hmm. and um so crux was marketed to those, those publishers I mean, obviously, New York Times is giant. There's all kinds of smaller publishers, but the because the somehow or another, the idea was it would blend like all that publisher data with the marketers' data. They could somehow overlay these on e- on each other and get a better enriched data set. So were they aggregating a lot of the smaller publishers to create a larger data set? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think what I think the way it worked was a publisher could use Crux okay. to basically to, to as a better way to or an enhanced service to their customers and their customers are mark any marketers right who are tr- who want to buy some of the subscriber data but they could somehow so it's like a marketplace they like- could somehow blend so the publisher could take their data and blend it with their customers data so, and their customers being these marketers who want to buy this subscription information they could somehow you know integrate these data sets and some can slice them and dice them better or whatever and it had a lot to do with um they're also tracking people with cookies, of course, mm-hmm. um, and that worked well for a while. But one of the reasons I think that Crux kind of, I don't know if it failed or just, because I mean, you can read all these articles about how, so Crux was considered one of these like first generation DMPs, and apparently the first generation DMPs all operated um, on cookies. Mm-hmm. That's how they were tracking people around and whatever. And I think that whole business model has kind of fallen apart because so it's so hard to mean, um, There's been efforts, thanks to people like Apple and Brave, mm-hmm. not thanks to people like Google and Salesforce, right? Um, who have made it more difficult to track people all over the web. Um, and so that business model kind of fell apart. And there are some other, like, I guess, more recent DMPs that I don't know if they're, I guess, assume they're second generation that are not. They're not relying on cookies. They're all kinds of other tricks. Of course, they've always got the marketers will always find a way, right? right? And so you know they're using local storage and all kinds of I don't know what all they're using correlating like keys from between sites that's a big thing and it's just it's all really disgusting when you get down into it but um, Crux just didn't um, didn't keep up with that or I guess you could call it audience studio
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and so they just they were losing a bunch of customers uh, let's see um, you know uh, okay Uh yeah, a large media. This is just a, this is one article that I found. A large media company that uses Salesforce Audience Studio is undergoing a formal RFP process because it's frustrated with with the DMPs. Salesforce Audience Studio's lack of product innovation. Uh, here it says, first generation DMPs were used to overlay third party data on a publisher's audience, but now they want to now they want to bring their own data to the battleground against Facebook and Google, which use proprietary data to siphon away media dollars. That once went to them this is really interesting i'm glad I, i'm glad i actually decided to talk about this even though i don't really understand i've, I've tried to understand i'm telling you i've mm-hmm. tried, tried to understand what these all these marketing tools and I, it's just it's very confusing Just it's again it's not my area so it'd be like if i'd you know i don't know bought some book on how to do spinal surgery i'm not, I'm not gonna really gonna understand it haven't how many times i read it i'm just it's not gonna sink in <laughs> right um but um you know if you look at this battle against Facebook, and Facebook is a disgusting company, so you're not going to catch me defending them. <clears> no, I agree. <clears throat> but the absolute coordinated attack on Facebook is, is really interesting, especially when you look at who's really behind the attacks on Facebook. Um, first of all, the entire corporate press and also um, almost all media companies. hmm they they have joined this i mean this is like this is world war you know media world war 1 or something i don't even know what you'd call this they all want to kill facebook because facebook is it's ju- it's just like what um they would all the classified advertisers would have loved to kill um what was the guy's name craigslist mm-hmm. same thing they all want to kill facebook and they've they've joined forces with the sales forces the mark benioffs of the world right that f- have their own reasons for wanting to kill facebook um who, who else is trying to kill Facebook? Uh, Facebook's competitors, Facebook's right. direct competitors. Um, Google wants to kill Facebook. I mean, it's just like the Facebook has no friends. <clears throat> Again, <clears throat> they're disgusting. Uh, but most of these companies are disgusting. I mean, the people that are battling Facebook, most of them are disgusting. Yeah. But anyway, so um, <clears throat> so yeah, now these you know these DMPs found themselves not only battling it, you know, in the, DMs, in the against DMP competitors, but then you have this whole shift from cookies to other mechanisms and so you have all these new second generation dmp's and then uh, now you got you know and now you're competing against facebook and google and then you know then now you have these customers complaining that audience studio was just not innovating just just sitting there like with their product they bought five years ago well it's got to be a venture that requires a
2: lot of resources and a lot of um focus and i think it's hard for an acquisition to maintain that focus unless they're maintained as a separate unit and they're left to run. But I think Tableau kind of has that arrangement, MuleSoft kind of has that arrangement. And to the best of my knowledge, Slack also has that arrangement where they're able to kind of have some kind of autonomy to how they uh, build and manage their product versus a smaller product that gets kind of merged in but it kind of stales because it, it is
0: at the time it is what it is at the time it was bought. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's interesting to watch Salesforce's acquisitions because you know you can see different strategies with different acquisitions. Some acquisitions are all about talent. Mm-hmm. Um, some are we, and I'm just make I'm just uh, this is just speculation, right? Just by watching, but um, but some of the I think some of these acquisitions are um, let's just buy this and extract as much revenue as we can, and we'll just manage the decline, right? And that's kind of what. And now I don't know if that's what well, there's that was their intention with Crocs, but I mean at some point it sounds like they just. They realized that Crux, you know, Gen One was going to pretty much face a, a pretty certain death that was imminent, right? Um, and then, so you, your your options are just, you know, you've got existing contracts with it, just keep collecting that revenue until you EOL it, or um, or invest a lot in it, right? And maybe it just doesn't didn't make financial sense to. You know, Salesforce has this whole portfolio of all these competing marketing i mean most of them are competing marketing They compete with each other it's like i don't even you know it's like you know part of our marketing but i don't know right. I, well, I think it goes I,
2: back to the, analytics or tableau i don't know I, I think it all goes back to the main the main mission statement which is uh how do we continue to uh, i'm gonna use a very careful word portray growth well <sighs> which means you know when you know, when marketing and and that kind of capturing that that uh, data point is a key topic and a key, um, I guess something that everyone's their demand is high for. You know, you go out and buy a company and say we we cover that demand, and then when when that settles down and the next the next demand comes up, you know, you go and find a way to to capture that that PR headline. Right,
0: and it's you know when you're as big as Salesforce, it's great because you can just you know, build and or buy this giant portfolio of products so that you can tell your customer, hey, you don't have to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for you to go to Oracle or Microsoft. We, we got everything. Yeah, We even have Quip. You don't even have to go to mm-hmm. Google Docs or Microsoft Word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's like just buy everything, some version of everything, and, and just make a, one big contract, one big deal. Which I think to a certain... Keep, keep the customers on the reservation. From a certain perspective, it makes sense.
2: I mean, it's totally it's, you, you, especially for larger companies that have to vet a company and get the massive legal approval. Totally. Once you right. have that, it's very easy to continue to add services. So once legal whitelists, uh, Salesforce, it's easy to tack on new licensing and things like that. So it makes the whole process itself. The whole bureaucracy makes it easier to
0: continue to spend more money with a, with an already entrenched vendor. Yeah. Um, what are some of other Salesforce's strategies on acquisition? So what do we? So there's the buy it and just milk it until it's dead.
1: No, there's uh, a talent, talent,
0: and then there's and there's okay, and then there's the big category. The I think the long term ones, things like, um, what would be good examples? Tableau is probably one. Um, MuleSoft, Slack for sure. Arguably, Marketing Cloud. I'm not sure how they've much they've. Talk, I'm going to save Mark and God for a minute because I do have a specific mm-hmm. thing about it. Um, but no, these are acquisitions where I think they, they're like, hey, these are, these are going to be long-term pillars of our portfolio. And right. so not only, yes, are they, are they producing cash now, they may not be profitable. Like, I don't think Slack was profitable, was it? Um, I don't, MuleSoft was, I don't think, profitable. Um, I don't know about Tableau. But anyway, I, you know, but they're, they're generating a lot of cash. And they're generating revenue. I mean, kind of go hand in hand, but the, they're actually different things. Um, but cash is always nice. Especially with a business like Salesforce because they don't want you to, uh, you know, Wall Street tends to measure these now, not by necessarily, it's like all about free cash flow, not, you know, earnings are... It's about uh, growth. Not, uh, yeah, yeah, They're yeah. willing to ignore the profits as long as there's a
2: trajectory of growth. That's why in this day and age we have companies valued at billions yeah. upon billions, even though they've never or sold like hundreds of products
0: yeah, and, and with the subscription model, you know the the actual you know net profits are are such a trailing indicator that people are looking at things like um uh, free like free cash flow and and you know changes in free cash flow and, and other other ra- you know it other gets than that. I mean look at the e v market i mean they're
2: valuing some of these companies that are just startups have only possibly made or even sold few hundred vehicles and they're valued it in the billions yeah i know it's strange it is strange um but anyway well um nicola was one of them that that got huge valuation huge amount of hype and it turns out it had
0: nothing but it was the first name to match the last name of tesla well yeah they're, ride, <laughs> so they're riding on tesla's <laughs> coattails <God. laughs> that's so ridiculous uh, let's you and i should create an ai company called albert oh yeah we should <laughs> Oh man. Um okay, so back to the acquisition thing. But the, you know, the the big ones, I mean, they're clearly it's like, okay, this is going to be a long-term pillar of our portfolio. We're going to mm-hmm. continue to invest and we're going, you know, these aren't going to these aren't going to be progn- products that stagnate. And I think we
2: see we're that in the, in the fact them. that they they maintain their autonomy. I think the MuleSoft and the Tableau and the Slack because they have their autonomy, they're seen as these products that they want so they, because they answer, they check a box, um, but they also don't want to screw them up. <laughs> and so marketing cloud to me is one of these. I'm not sure which bucket it fits in. And, well, I think marketing cloud came at a different time in the Salesforce story. It's it was, it was probably one of the very, very
0: first major acquisitions. And it was, a, it was two, around $2 billion, $1.7 billion. I could be making this up. Somewhere around there. And that was, at the time, jai-freaking-gantic for Salesforce. Yeah. I mean, now that's nothing. And it fits so I mean, they well. Would, with, they wouldn't notice if $1.7 billion fell out of the bottom of their, of their pants pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that product fits so
2: well with CRM. And it was, it was just a high demand for that type of product. And I just, I think their intent was they were going to merge it in. That they were going to officially make it a true cloud. Yep. Get it off SQL and everything else that it's based on now. And make it a true part of the cloud. I think they were at that point in their history where they thought our acquisitions are going to be mm. true
0: acquisitions. Where they bring them in. You know, and as with that, this, the whole big Postgres conversion they were going to do, I I think they've, I think they've given up on a lot of these things.
2: Well, I think, I think you got to follow the money. I mean, you could, they could do this. They could move to Postgres. They could, instead of merging and just letting these products exist, they could rewrite, rewrite them and rebuild them on the platform. They could, but what's the ROI? It's just not there.
0: Well, and and when you're considering an acquisition like that, you know you, the thing is you're getting advice from your internal, maybe some external um, experts on what is the feasibility. I mean, first of all, what's the quality of the, of this product we're buying,
1: mm-hmm.
0: of its internals and everything, um, and how much you know what's the effort like to merge that architecture in, right? And you know you get estimates on these things,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And so then you make decisions on. These based on these estimates, and I guarantee you, as with all kinds of estimates, these estimates are probably almost always completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then, like to, to your point, you then you follow the money. It's like, well, you know, we originally estimated it might cost us hundred million dollars. I'm just I have no idea, right? Two right. billion dollar acquisition might cost us a hundred million dollars to convert it, and then, you know, you hit the hundred fifty million mark, and you're like. Wow, we still can't even see light at the end of the tunnel on this. Yeah, it's a lot hotter than what we thought. Yeah. Um, and then you just like it's like, well, okay, it's not really integrated. It's still on a completely separate platform. It's still not easy to use. Yeah, is you know, customers are still buying it. People are still renewing their contracts for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the net, ch- probably a negative net churn. Hopefully, um, just eh, let's, let's just write it out. Yeah, we we can we can spend another story around it. Uh, what's it? Something three sixty? What's the what's the uh, customer three sixty? What's the thing they come up with? And it's some kind of <clears throat> identity thing that because they've just resolved to the idea that your, these clouds aren't really integrated, and you have to have some way to federate identities of entities uh, all right. across all the across all your different clouds. <clears throat> it's identity cloud. Is that what? No, no, that's something different.
2: No, I think that's what it
0: is. I thought that was different. But what were they originally called? Something 360. It was not customer 360, was it? It was something else 360. And maybe that's been merged into 360 But when they first announced it. it Was this was Was it that Master Data Initiative or
2: uh, Master Data-like Initiative? Yes, it was. I think that was the original 360. Was it? Yeah.
0: And then it kind of morphed into what we have today. But I found this YouTube video that Salesforce did. Like, I don't know. It felt like it was like at least five years ago, if not like seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was um it was about creating um in marketing cloud about creating custom act what marketing cloud calls custom activities. so you've seen uh flow right mm-hmm. okay this is this is so i'm trying to i'm gonna try to explain this, and this is the blind leading the blind acknowledged, but for people to, who don't know what like the journey thing is in marketing cloud or journey builder, I think is what they call it mm-hmm. um it's, it's similar to it looks like flow in almost in a way like you've got this canvas and you can drag squares and circles and arrows and connect things right and triangles and diamonds for decisions right, right. <clears throat> but the squares like activities and there's a, you know there's built-in activities that, that they're just native to the system but you can create custom activities as well um but implementing a custom activity is actually hilarious what you have to do it is like salesforce just wiped their hands clean of doing any dirty work on this so Mm -hmm. you have to like first of all like you know when you because at design time when you're dragging the custom activity onto the screen like you have to have a ui for that right right well you have to create your own web app and host it somewhere and it iframes it in oh really yes (laughs) (laughs) and then and so there's you know there's this and it's it's hilarious it's based on i'm trying to think of the name of some of these things but these really old like kind of hacks for communicating between iframes because they're cross domain right and it's just so old like no one uses them but that's that's still how you have to do it with this um, with the custom activities and then also um, it, at runtime like when, when people people are actually hitting this point in their journey on your activities um, then it then you have to have like a, I think it's I think it's like a rest API of some sort and you know marketing cloud will call your rest API with just like with with that person's information where you know where they are in their journey and all that and then you can do whatever you want i mean that's kind of the point of a custom activity is like you can uh-huh. you can call back into marketing cloud and do stuff in marketing cloud or you can maybe you have some other system that manages like a coupon code or something and you go and get some build some custom coupon code for this certain with this one customer and then you might, you might want to put that back in marketing cloud so there's just you know it's kind of sky's the limit but it's weird how much they're just it's just Hey, you give us some kind of web UI that you host somewhere, and you let us know where your where your REST API is going to be. Yep, and then I mean, and in some ways, it's kind of it's weird. In some ways, it's kind of perfect. Yeah, I mean, because you can really do whatever you want, and and you kind of isolated. And you don't have limits. You don't have limits. You know, there's no hosting fees except for what you know. You I mean, you have to host it, but I mean, you could most of these things you could host on a free. Dino or a GitHub static site. I mean, you really don't. You don't need much. <clears throat> um, but this video, back to my story, this video was it's like it was like some kind of tutorial that Salesforce did on how to build a custom activity. And they're like, yeah, there's all these things we're working on. We're gonna, you know, we're that the, you're gonna be able to instead of like having to do all this, you're gonna you're gonna be able to like drag and drop stuff, and we're gonna have like you know, you can build your UI and in, in in Marketing Cloud and. Mm-hmm. You won't have to host it somewhere else and all this kind of stuff, right. and just like none of that, none of that happened. And I'm sure, sure, at that point in time, that was probably not too long after they bought Marketing Cloud or Exact Target, right? Um, yeah, that was probably that was. I'm sure that was the roadmap. No, we got all these things we're going to do, and it just that never happened. Um, stuff didn't. I mean, there there is an integration between Salesforce and Marketing Cloud, right? Um, right. I assume it works. But okay. I think I that's know. that's it, a sticking point for a lot of people, though, is
2: that type of integration because it acts like an external system, and it and you're limited because it's an external system. You know, it doesn't have that cohesion. Or, there's no cohesion.
0: There's there's, yeah. there's really there's not like transactions on it. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's um, I mean, they're they're they require an integration because they're not integrated.
2: Right. And I think that's what I mean. That that's why people have a thirst for truly integrating these products into the platform and making them part of the platform and on the platform. So that's what, regardless of what mechanism they're using to get the data in sync between the two, it's transparent to you. But today it's not, even though they have things that make it easy or automatically make the connections and replicate data and things like that, you still have to be really aware of, of what that mechanism is and what it's doing. I mean, Pardot is a great example of that. It's just, you really have to understand that interaction and how, what, what is updating what and when and where and all those kind of things which is it's not as easy as just saying i'm going to sign up and start enabling Pardot and start doing stuff it's you have to understand that
0: interaction which means you have to typically get someone to help you set it up yeah i mean and this you know that that back to the crux for a second or uh, what's it called an, an audience studio
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know it was apparently also just required lots of effort to get set up but i mean i feel yeah. like that's you know with enterprise software i mean when you think about it in some ways and and i get it there, i mean enterprise software that that term covers a pretty wide spectrum of of yeah. software but i mean i guess what i'm talking about is you know applications that big companies are going to run that have that are really custom i mean they're customized they have to be highly customized i mean that's one thing that sets enterprise software apart from you know like consumer software or small business software It's just the level you can customize it, but that means that in order for it to be that customizable that it's got to be really decomposed and decomposable software that's got all these extension points, and that just means that and it's almost it almost takes like a lot in a of fortune work fortune tailor with those extension points the, yeah, and its just it's just a lot of work, and that's you know that was one of the kind of I guess complaints about audience studio was just that I, I think that's any of those dMPs though. I, th- I think it's just the nature of enterprise software at that level. I mean you're mm-hmm. going to giant publishers who have very custom data and processes and all kinds of stuff and and they need that ability to customize but the corollary to that is it's you have to takes a lot of effort to customize it.
2: Yeah. Or they weren't keeping up with the the standards that that everyone else uses to to typically hook into those systems. I think uh Trailhead is probably a good example of that because when I was primarily working on learning management tools um the The way you produce content, there's all these tools and everything that will help you produce content, write questionnaires and surveys and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. But they all have these different formats that, that they'll publish to, that those tools will publish to, and then you can consume into any LMS. Well, with Trailhead, it was a very proprietary thing. So that, I think that's what prevented it from kind of being this widespread LMS system and where it kind of just remains as
0: a very isolated okay. proprietary thing for Salesforce. Uh, and this is this is interesting. You know, standardization. Does standardization benefit vendors more, or does it harm them more? Because it harms e- innovation, I think. Ding ding ding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Because it, it, it because the standard tells you what your model is, right? And it, and then and then you can just you can innovate around the edges, right? And Salesforce, you know, I'm just taking on that example for a second. Salesforce might have been like, you know what? Mm-hmm. That is not our data model. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not how we view the world of, of learning systems nowadays. And so we're not going to standardize on it because then that's just going to limit our innovation. right? What are, but, what's that big one called? I forget. There's a couple, but there's one that's got a really weird name. It's just not even a pleasant name. Uh, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I mean, you know it if I said it. Yeah. And I would know yeah, it if you said it. Yeah. But neither of us know it, so... <laughs> <clears throat>
2: But it's like that with a lot of things where where we try to center. I mean, JavaScript is a good example of that. We have all these higher level languages that sit on top of it or compile down to JavaScript um, that, you know, are there to augment and kind of add innovation like TypeScript, you know, typing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it compiles compiles down. Um, SAS for CSS, you know, allowing you to use variables and all that kind of stuff and compile it down. I mean, these are all things that we do to kind of innovate on top of things that we can't typically innovate on or aren't accessible enough to innovate
0: on yeah and what are some other examples like hl7 right that's uh
2: yeah that's a fun one
0: pretty much every the
2: other thing about standards is they they evolve over time and they don't they're not always consistent in their implementation So, and and as along with breaking changes in the standards also cause issues so You end up with this spaghetti web of code that has to look at the version, understand that version, and know how to deal with the quirks and idiosyncrasies of that version, of whatever that standard is.
0: Right. And who gets to standardize, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Some committee, you might say you're basically, if you're lucky and you're a vendor, you might have one seat on this committee. You got one vote. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And what if you get outvoted, you know? And it's like a, a standard is something that you really don't think is the right model the right
2: standard and that's why these big companies like microsoft and google and all of them all
0: sit on these boards of these of these standards and sometimes say when things don't go their way then they just they actually resign from the from that from that committee and just just decline to uh, participate in i mean that's that's actually a pretty common outcome of these committees i think firefox um just kind of blew through it and said well we're
2: going to implement some of that stuff anyways, and that's why you have some of these very, You're talking about back
0: in the day? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Specialized yeah. tags, and then Go- and then Chrome started implementing those specialized CSS tags. Oh, well, then,
0: I mean, IE was the worst offender. Like, IE4, IE3, 4, 5 probably. Um, well, IE did it for different reasons. They did it for corrupt reasons. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's... Well,
2: they did it, and I, I that's a bit overgeneralization. No, they were they just did commercial it, reasons, they right? Did I mean, it, well, they, some of it was done to solve and interact with certain parts of their technology, which made it easy To consume and write things on that and thus proliferate that technology. Um, But there were just other things that were just blatant, just, you know, this is going to break everyone else
0: unless you use IE type stuff. Yep. Oh, the worst one though was that they got the box model wrong. Yes. And then you had to do, you know, some kind of doc type special thing to, to trigger mm. I.E into into what they would call actual standards mode or something like that I forget <laughs> yeah you kind of
2: you kind of broke the I guess the interpreter and by adding these
0: weird characters and things that what doesn't break normal browsers but breaks iE's browser. what was the thing that got the most wrong was it that that width didn't include border or didn't include padding or no it that it did include margin because width is not supposed to include margin but yeah, really, I like it's it. one of those but it, it was so it was so wrong. It's just incredibly wrong, and you know, this is and this is back when people pretty much developed websites for IE, um, mm-hmm. and then you know, it's like then what does Firefox do, or, or you know, we or I guess back then it was this is pre Firefox. What was it? Mozilla? No. And um, uh, Netscape Navigator. Netscape. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that whole. Opera thing. was big for a while. Yeah. Opera Mobile was. Is it still big? People still love Opera Mobile.
2: I think Opera Mobile was the first one to to be on those kind of text-based phones,
0: wasn't it? Maybe so. It was, that was big. Yeah. I mean, you had to, you had to, you couldn't ignore Opera Mobile as yeah. a developer.
2: Anyway. Well, speaking of acquisitions, Salesforce is queued up to do another acquisition. Did you hear about this? No. Um, so they're going to buy, uh, Rumor uh, apparently it said somewhere that they weren't going to make a big deal out of this. <laughs> Like I don't think we're going to get any major press releases on this other than it's just it's an acquisition that's going to happen and should be completed by the end of fiscal 2022 which is in January. Their fiscal year always makes me crazy, but yeah. uh, they're going to buy a company called Narrative Science and it's a company that Tableau already uh, works with and so that technology will just be consumed and be a part of the Tableau stack. Um, I don't know anything about it other than Hearing about the acquisition, then going and looking at their site and then trying to understand what they do, uh, it's kind of interesting. I think it, I think it has a, a place for kind of summarizing data. But apparently, what it is is it takes all your analytic data and tries to create a story out of it, a narrative out of it, so that it can say, I don't know, revenues were up ten percent over this year, and it's because of this, this, and this. You yeah. know, and it tries to present that as a, as a sentence, which I think is valuable and as long as it's accurate and it's you know you take it for what it is you know you don't rely too much on that narrative but you take it as as an easy way to ingest the
0: the data so let's take bets on what they call this thing once it once it actually lands in tableau um (laughs) einstein narratives um
2: mm, i don't know they're they're not going to mix the Einstein and tableau names so no
0: oh yeah that's true yeah or do they is there nothing in tableau anymore that's called einstein No.
2: Not that I know of. Okay.
0: In fact, didn't we just say that Einstein was rebranded to So Einstein Tablo's Analytics, CRM? which was Wave. Right. So Wave has been through many names now, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah. What was the original name for it? Was it, like it was Wave. Wave. Yeah. Was it wasn't like Lightning Wave? or No, it was Wave. Okay. There's a Wave and then Einstein Analytics. No, it was, it was Analytics Cloud, I think, after that. And then Analytics Cloud? But it was definitely, it was called, it was, so... Then it hit Einstein Analytics then. Then it became Einstein Analytics, yeah. And then Tableau CRM. Right. Everyone at home is following along with this.
2: (laughs) I Um, wanted to save this comment for when we do our clips. Okay. But I I just have to say it now. Okay. Salesforce is the master of rebranding something and saying it's new because it got a new name.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, because again, it's it's a great way to just always stay in the news. Mm Mm-hmm. Stay on all the PR sites. Um, and
2: these people, they, and it, whether they know or they don't know, they don't care. It's a, way, it's, it's
0: a topic that they can write words on and get paid for and put it out there. It's also a way of Google bombing. I mean, because every time they rebrand or make one of these announcements, it, mm-hmm. it gets picked up everywhere. It's all over the internet. And then, you know, it, it, it's impossible to Google some of these things without, just, without it being either direct Salesforce content or Salesforce spoon-fed content. You know, it's mm-hmm. Google bombing. Just, yeah. you got you want to cover the web with as much content that you control as possible and that's just that's one way to do it yeah i mean either that or it's just it's a it's a side benefit it's a serendipitous little bonus <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so it sounds like this narrative science has been a partner uh with tableau for a while
1: mm-hmm.
0: it almost seems
2: like this is just a quick you know those uh Whenever uh, I used to say that, uh, what was it? what am, I, can't, I can't get the words out for some reason, <laughs> but you know, every time Benioff made a sale, all of a sudden there was an article on it or like someone in high up in Salesforce. And then you're the one that, that educated me and said, oh, well, that's a bot that wrote that.
0: Oh, yeah. Or every time there's some sale of some shares or something, yeah. some bot writes an article about it. And so to me, that's what this is. Oh, this is the bot point. that writes those oh, narratives that
2: automatically get published and say, blah, 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 blah. And it almost sounds like someone wrote it, but
0: it's not. And they probably, it's probably just GPT-3 under the hood that's writing this. I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, I, I would not be I would not be surprised. Actually, I would be surprised if it didn't use GPT-3 or some other. I mean, so much of this enterprise software, Don, it's mm-hmm. just you open up the hood. It's all open source stuff that they've just glued together. But, but but why not you know why I mean, yeah. not? Um, yeah, but it was like a plugin or something. To I bet it was a I bet it's been a plugin for uh, what do you call it? Tableau. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it it I guess their pro their their main product is called Lexio. Lex I like that name. It's uh like like lexical lex words letters. Um, okay, Lexio connects to an organization's data and uses augmented intelligence. And machine learning to automatically query the data and develop narrative stories. Hey, it's like uh, it's like the corporate press nowadays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate how we ruin words in the tech tech world.
2: Can't call something artificial intelligence now. You got to make up augmented intelligence. Is that is can't that, call it
0: machine <laughs> learning anymore? Now you got to call it neural networks. <laughs> um, is augmented intelligence is that also AI? Can you call that AI? <sighs> It's word salad to me, but <laughs> oh. well, do you yeah. want to get to your let's see. I mean, I don't care do the what clips. order. Yeah. Yeah, we can do the clips. Okay. Do we need to set these up? Uh kind of. I mean,
2: I I, I just kind of clipped uh this interview that Brett Taylor did with uh CNBC closing bell recently. Uh, so he talks about a lot of that focuses on Slack, obviously. You know, so they paid a lot for Slack and they're having to make sure that they're justifying that. Oh yeah. Um so we're gonna see Slack everywhere for the near future in just about everything. But Slack also has their Frontier conference coming up. So obviously they're trying to gin up um eyeballs for that.
0: Front oh, Frontiers, yeah. yeah. Did that did, I think that happened already. Did it happen? I think it just happened. Okay.
1: Um
0: yeah. Anyway. Okay. So, clip number one. Clip number one. All right, here we go.
3: Brett, thanks for being on with us. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because I feel like throughout the software space right now, we've seen this explosion of services and applications. And now the key is to be able to knit those together and basically make a one stop shop, uh, which is something that I know Slack is very focused on in Salesforce and, and is a big key topic of today.
0: Yeah, wait, was that a question? That was a question. What was the question? I missed the
2: question and all that. Uh. Brett, we're about to let you have some free advertising, so I'm just going to queue up a bunch of words that, that was I was told to say, and I'm going to let you take it. I mean, I thought
0: that was a question, but it literally did not. I mean, here, I'll just play the last part of that again. It did not end in a question.
3: Slack is very focused on in Salesforce and, and is a big key topic of today.
0: It's no different than
2: the, yeah. than the softball that Benioff would get. I guess. I just want to make sure I didn't miss a question.
4: I'm so excited about all the innovation being announced at Slack Frontiers, because Morgan, in this uh, post pandemic world, work is not a place that you go to work is just something you do and Salesforce employees and almost every customer. I-
0: Too bad we have towers and millions of square feet of offices
4: talk to their employees are coming in two, maybe three days a week. And with Slack and all the amazing new platform innovation at Frontiers, it can really be this system of engagement that connects all your employees, all your applications, connects them to your customers whether they're working in your home, working in the subway or working in the office. And I think it's a central tool for innovative companies coming out of this pandemic.
0: It's a lot of words. That was a lot of words for a chat program. Yeah. Although I'm, 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 I'm being told that just wait, because what Salesforce is going to do with Slack is going to blow your mind.
2: Uh, I, I, I'll see it when I believe it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, and I won't say too much about this because uh, another question kind of cues this up, anyways. But I think there's a well. I think what we need to understand is Salesforce is trying to make it clear that that Slack is is going to continue to grow and that the investment was worth it, um, and that they they are uniquely positioned in that most of their products are web based and thus accessible to home, um, which I've seen firsthand be a major success for Salesforce. Um, uh, one of my uh, one of my family members who worked at a different company, who did not use Salesforce, did not have any kind of online capability. All of their work was done on machines that had proprietary software, proprietary network access at work. Yep. And to get those people to work from home during the pandemic was a nightmare.
0: Yeah, um, especially if you don't. Because, I mean, you can accomplish that with like a VPN and, and Citrix or one of these you know things that which your which, desktop. But which you, is
2: kind of what they did. It was kind of like the, the, the band-aid that they did was yeah. the VPN. But VPNs are extremely slow. And Compile that with people's slow home internet access. Yeah, uh, unless they were they really invest in their index, which not many people did. I mean, yeah, sure. You have those of us that do a lot of online but, stuff. That affects, streaming. that
0: affects all the SaaS solutions too, though. If they if someone's you know doesn't fix your bad home internet, right? Right. Yeah. So. All right, number
2: two. So is
3: this a bet? I mean, you just mentioned it, this idea of hybrid work. Some companies will never send certain employees back into the office. Some companies are starting to bring them back to the office now. But do you expect that hybrid work in general as we come to a more normalized post-pandemic environment is to some extent here to stay? And if so, how big is that opportunity for Salesforce?
4: I think it is here to stay. Uh, you know, you just look at any headline, you can read about the great resignation, the great relocation. Work as we know it has changed forever. And as the world reopens, I, I love that news about the
0: So I guess I missed. what. What is the great resignation? I don't know.
2: But one thing that struck me is, and I don't know if this is all tech people or just Salesforce or just the, you can tell Brett has been trained by Benioff because he, he sounds like Benioff in the types of words that he chooses to use. Um, Benioff has always loved to use these grandiose terms. These is is platitudes the right word? Um, where it's these major transformational, generational shifts in the way we do things. The you know what what were they calling them? The it was like Web two and then it was what were some of the other ones that he had? Um, the industrial revolutions, oh, the, yeah, you know, the, the third and the fourth, so, and the, the social fifth enterprise. Was, that's, and that's now that's we have what... like the Great Resignation. You know mm-hmm. they they want to be. They want to be part of this historical moment, and they want to say that we're here for this historical moment that's happening. Is this a moonshot? The, these moonshots. We want to be here for these moonshots.
0: I mean, it's... it's sound, uh, moonshot sounds delicious, by the way. Doesn't it? Yeah. Moon pies sound delicious. <laughs> I haven't had one of those in forever. <laughs> I haven't either. I wonder if they're as Decades. good as I remember. I uh, know. They're terrible. I guarantee I bet they are. Well, first of all, I think... Because I think that I'll... This is just a quick thing. we'll get back. Uh, They've all gone down in quality. All this stuff that we yeah. grew up with, it's all the quality is way worse now. Yeah. So there's that.
1: Yeah. That's okay. sad. Okay.
0: We will resume.
4: Pfizer pill and we're able to go back to the office we all know it's not going to be five days a week and every ceo and every boardroom i'm talking about talking to right now is thinking about how do they cultivate the talent in their company to get back to growth in this new normal and tools like slack are incredible opportunities for innovative companies we call it the digital headquarters because in this all digital work from anywhere world your digital headquarters is more important than your physical headquarters so um for those of you that uh
2: play your drinking games during uh salesforce events digital headquarters is the new word to put on that list
0: i I like it i mean i like in all sincerity i think it's kind of a good term in a way it just it's another way to say it just it, it reinforced the idea of um virtualness yeah you know
2: which i think we were heading down that road already and then it got accelerated by the pandemic um we had to find ways to work remote in, in situations where companies or management would never allow that, either for lack of trust in their employees or just by nature of the type of work that they do, something being highly collaborative and finding ways to continue that collaboration in a virtual way. Yep. Um, my fear is that it, it's going to create these silos out of people and there's going to be less interaction in a way, in a non siloed way. I'm not sure how to say it. But that's why you get yourself a corporate ranch
0: that you can send everyone to. I
2: guess. Maybe that's that's gonna be the thing is we're just gonna have corporate retreats all the time. Um because I think one thing that's valuable when you're working with people at a company is you get to socialize the water cooler talk, the you know, in the lunchroom, the shower thoughts as you walk by your manager and saying, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this or I have this idea or just the chance to kind of have those interactions. Your
0: manager walks by you while you're in the shower? sometimes no
2: (laughs) well my wife is my boss yeah that's true you know but i kick her out of the shower (laughs) i need my privacy okay (laughs) i i I really do so you got the bedroom and you got the the master bathroom i close the bedroom door and i close the door
0: to the master bathroom
2: (laughs) and if anyone goes through any of those doors i'm screaming i'm in
0: here leave me (laughs) alone i need my privacy it's like the the intro to was it get smart yeah. I mean, all those doors opening. Too? If
2: I had more doors, I would <laughs> shut more doors. I just like my privacy when I'm taking a shower, using the
0: restroom. Right, I need multiple doors. I'm never going to mess with you when you're taking a shower, John. So Thank you. I you appreciate to worry about it. that. I hey, <laughs> respect your privacy. Uh, okay.
4: Uh, you, you have seen Brad as one of the driving forces uh, originally behind the sale. Oh, I got the deal. British guy now.
0: And some mm-hmm.
4: some investors have been, uh, have been critical of it. I,
0: I just wonder what you say to those people that, that asked the question as to whether you to bought tag, really the him peak him. of the, the work from home trend, I get that it's not going anywhere, but it's hard to see it peak quite as much as it, as it did in the, in the last year or so. So
2: I, if you pause it there, oh. I like that he asked that question the way he did. Because um, I, I think one thing that's happening out in the industry right now is we had all of these companies that really peaked during the pandemic because people were going virtual and there were certain services that um all of a sudden became key for that or or certain companies zoom i mean slack could have fallen victim to that right zoom slack um there's a great story going on right now about peloton which 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 huge their stock was through the roof they were selling like crazy but now they're on such a decline and their stock is what below 100 now when it was like two or three hundred you know in last year um and so that's kind of what he's leading up to. He's, he's leading to the stories of these companies that peaked during the pandemic and whether or not they can either stay at that peak or at least recover and long-term continue that momentum. Yeah, no, it's a good question.
4: Tools like Slack were obviously relevant in this pandemic because every company, including ours, was... Awkwardly, sort of forced into this work-from-home environment, but I would argue it's more relevant in the post-pandemic world. And that's because we're going to enter this world of flexible work. And in this world of flexible work, you need to connect your employees, your partners, and your customers, no matter where they are, because they're only in the office two or maybe three days a week. And it's how incredible companies like Intuit and IBM and others really create these digital headquarters for their very complex organizations. And Slack is really at the center of that Conversation for so many of our customers, and you know,
0: this I I I think Salesforce is sincere about this. I think Salesforce is also sincere about having a significant flex slash work from home (laughs) workforce. I mean, because it's it's part of their story, so they're they're going to allow. I I think that's one reason why they are probably going to be a little bit more liberal than other uh, you know big tech companies Mm -hmm. who are not following suit on this.
2: Which I hope so, because I, I felt really bad for all those people stuck in those WeWork uh, phone booths all day.
0: Yeah. But it's weird because I think for the rest of us, maybe smaller companies that have always been more nimble and flexible and everything, we're just sitting around going, yeah, that's how you do it. I mean, we've been doing this for years. <laughs> but we, we uh, forgot how hard it was to
2: transition to that. When I first transitioned to working from home, it was very difficult. Um, well, it was nice at first. You know, the first month or so, it's, it's, it's incredible. But there's things you have to figure out. You got to figure out, you know, the how you set up your office, how you um, balance your your start time and your end time for when you start work. Um, You know, figuring out that yeah, you still need to take a shower every day, (laughs) Uh, change out of your pajamas. You know, get into that mindset of work. You know, there's things that you have to do to kind of manage that and make it work. So I think, I think for us that had been doing it, it was like nothing. But for those who, who this was their first time doing that, it was it was probably more difficult. To, to acclimate probably to
0: so and I, I guess i take it for granted you know i uh i don't know it's just how i've always kind of worked yeah
2: yeah you have <clears throat> and i always been the sole proprietor of everything
0: and i've i've you know i don't know I've, i'm used to also just managing my own work and get, you know doing what i whatever i need to do to get things done changing my environment or you know if something's not right fixing it and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people it's just there. You know, it's the first time I've had to think about that because I've always had someone to tell them where to sit, when to sit there, and it's just they're like, "Oh, really? This is weird." Yeah. And, and some people, you know, that 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 freedom they have now, that flexibility, you know, now they might take advantage of it in a yeah. in a not so good way. So, you know, some people can't handle like certain dog breeds. Like my dog can't handle being off leash. Can't handle too much freedom. <clears throat> beagles it definitely will get itself run over. Mm.
1: Uh-huh.
2: It's it's also difficult on the family itself too. I think I think we're ignoring that. We we're focused on the employee and the the person doing the work and being at home, but we forget how that impacts the family as well. Um During the summer, when I'm working from home, it sucks for my kids. Oh, yeah, because I have to yell at them. I'm on the phone. Yep. Be quiet. I'm not saying be quiet. I say shut up. And yeah. really mean about it, but. <laughs> but there's that you know the kids can't run around the house and scream and play like they like they normally can because i'm on the phone um we can't run the vacuum because i'm on the phone we can't you know all those things you know normal stuff that you would do in your home um you can't do because you have this distraction not distraction but you have this isolation of work and it consumes your entire home unless your home's like really really big and people can spread out um mine's not that big so so we're all bumping against each other uh, not to mention, what about homes that have multiple people that work from home? Oh yeah, that's, and and now that is coordinate tough. that. Right. I mean, even you, you and I, when we were sharing offices, was difficult when we both had a call at the same time. Uh, one because I didn't speak loud enough, and two because you spoke loud enough.
0: And we're not even <laughs> married, and it was hard. Yeah. But yeah, that, that whole yeah, two like two spouses at home. Yeah, that's that's tough. So it sounds great to say we're going to work from
2: home, and it, it's this great lovely thing. But I think it ignores some very critical things about our environments, our family life, our work-life balance. All of that stuff still needs to be
0: figured out. And a lot of people, it's just it's just not going to work for. A lot of people need that daily social interaction. Yeah, and they just they can't can't do this. Yeah, it's really hard on them. That's what's called flexible. Yeah, add that
2: to to drinking, bingo. Right, flexible workforce. Is that what he said?
3: So for your customers and the conversations you're having, what are they requesting? What are the needs as all of this continues to evolve?
4: Well, Slack has just been on an innovation tear since the acquisition was announced, adding audio capabilities with huddles, video capabilities with clips, a brand new platform this week at Slack Frontiers. But the thing I'm really excited- What's the new platform, John? I don't know. Oh, I know what it is.
0: I do know what it is. What? Well, you're going to say something, so I'll hold it. But. Mine's going to be cynical, so you say yours. Okay. Um, they have, there's this new ability to extend Slack, and it's going to be um, kind of like no code in a way. But as with all the stuff, they're very limited and leaky abstractions. So you can code. You can drop down and have some, I don't know what the language is. Mm. But yeah, you can, you can, uh, Get out of that escape hatch and uh, bring a developer in and into the. I forget what they call them some kind of. I think it's workflows. Slack workflows or something like that.
2: Yeah. Okay, I, I am aware of those. So okay, at a high level, not as a yeah. not a technical level, but yeah, this is this is this is where I wanted to get back to what I was trying to say earlier is that Salesforce is really good at taking existing things, rebranding them as a new name and calling them new things. These things that he rattled off at first, even this new platform, I think is just an extension. A higher level extension of their current ability to to plug in into Slack, yeah, and it's they're they're benefiting from Salesforce's marketing, which is saying, "Hey, let's give this a new name and let's announce it as a new thing, so that we can say we're innovating this thing."
0: Right, because not only do they make podcasts like this, or whatever, wherever this was, or it's the, an interview, interview yeah. on new show, but they're gonna, you know, it's gonna get covered by a bunch of articles. Again, you're gonna spam the web mm-hmm. with with your message all the time.
4: Yeah. is how deeply we're integrating Slack with what Salesforce makes, which we call Customer 360. With Slack and our Customer 360, we're enabling digital selling teams, the digital customer service because contact centers are no longer buildings. They just exist in the cloud. And as we look forward to Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Cyber Monday, Slack is really the uh, command center for Cyber Week. And we're really excited to partner with all of our customers and help them get back to growth in this new economy. I mean.
0: It's weird. I I like Slack. I think it's you know a, a pretty good tool for chat. Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
0: you know, there's a debate over, over whether it's more synchronous or more asynchronous. What's what it's best modeled for? But I'm just like, this is this is interesting to take a chat, just a chat tool, chat product, mm-hmm. and really elevate it to the level. That it is the center of everything your $100 billion company is doing. That's, that's crazy. That th- is
2: it's crazy. It's the same story of what they wanted to do and what they wanted Chatter to be. And this is the same yeah. talking points that they used w- with Chatter. Yeah. And I think the reality of what happened to Chatter wasn't the technology. I think it's the fact that that's not how people want to consume the data. At best, Chatter became a discussion group. or a replacement for email in most companies. Now, if someone out there has a has a use case where they actually used it for collaborative communications and it really helped sell deals and all that kind of stuff, I'd love to hear those stories. But my experience has been it's it's been a way to reduce emails by saying it's in chatter, which you get a a feed of anyways. Yeah. Um or it was used as as little pockets
0: of discussion groups for for certain departments. And that's that's things that I think chatter was better at than Slack um chatter was better for a truly asynchronous contextual conversations mm-hmm. that uh, whose history doesn't get lost in time and and maybe again we'll have to see what the integrations they're going they're planning with slack or how they it's, like it's going to change the face of cell everything's going to look like slack and salesforce according to mark Benioff. <laughs> well, but, good, but you i know, look forward but, to my magenta but, you know, color scheme you could go to a deal that you closed two years ago and just look at the chatter thread on it and like that is all historical in context, and it didn't get pushed down 82 miles by more recent conversations. I
2: guess that's true. I guess the if you had set up your data to participate in it, it wasn't that you were interacting with the data like they had hoped. It was more of kind of like a history of record. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a transaction almost of the events that happened that you can kind of circle around. Yeah. Um, in a way, the data did participate in the conversation as they intended. You know, I called so-and-so. And then this, this data record got updated, and you can kind of see that history. Um, but I don't think it participated in the way where people were living in Chatter and essentially interacting with the data through Chatter.
0: I just want to say a quick shout-out to all the people out there who tried to, who went through the hell of trying to implement their own Chatter client. Oh. Yeah. And I'm in that group. <laughs> <laughs> and we all, we all share a common pain. Yeah. Okay, there's one. Let me get this last one here. Brett is the is the metaverse a threat or an opportunity for you mm. uh, I think the metaverse is an not- I still don't know what the metaverse is by the way
4: opportunity Uh, you know i think when i think of the metaverse it's really about people's digital identities becoming as important as their physical identities and all of our customers want to make sure their brands and their products are you know integrated with wherever this metaverse vision takes us and so we're really excited about the conversations we're having with our customers about where they're going in this new normal and salesforce if there's one thing we're always doing it's looking at where the puck is going the proverbial puck and trying to help guide our customers on that that puck yeah Brett, thanks so much for joining us today. Much appreciated.
2: So I love that last statement from Brett for, and I'll tell you why. That was a Benioff answer. The only thing it was missing was a little chuckle at the start of it. Benioff would have been, ha, 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 ha let me tell you, the digital, digital. Right. Yeah. he spun that perfectly and he sounded just like Benioff would have. We all know that Brett's being groomed for the CEO position. Yeah. Uh, when we're not talking co-CEO or anything, he's being groomed for the CEO mm-hmm. position. And that was, I think if anybody had any concerns about Losing the charismatic Benioff as the face of the company, I I think Brett is going to alleviate those concerns because that was spot on what Benioff would have said. I
0: agree with that part.
2: I'm not sure about the char- charisma part. Oh, what do you mean? Uh, Benioff sold tons of shares on his on his charisma alone. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. You don't think Brett has the same level? I don't think anybody can match Benioff one to one. Yeah, but I think. I think in terms of as a really good impersonation,
0: <laughs> I think he does a great job. I mean, he's clearly had, you know, they're putting him through all kinds of media training. I mean, this is, these are all, this is all friendly media anyway. There's no one, this no this is, this is grooming. On. What we're seeing is uh, yeah, grooming, because yeah. I've seen him
2: appear on more of these shows that normally would have Benioff on him doing these types of things. Yeah. As yeah. soon as he ends up on Kramer, if he has not already, I think that's when we're going to see the true turning point.
0: When people talk about Metaverse, I can, I, the only thing I can think of is still is, is um, Second Life. Do you remember Second Life?
2: The metaverse is not
0: new. Microsoft has been trying to
2: do this, and they—I think it was like as little as early as last year—they had a virtual environment, VR-like thing that was exactly like what uh, Zuckerberg um, demonstrated. Uh, so it's not new. It's not anything they've creating. I just—I don't—I don't think that's going to resonate with people. I think it'll have its pockets in, and its value in entertainment. I think that's a good place for it, but I, I think as far as being a second life, I just you don't know, see it. You know what I'm talking about. This yeah, is, I know, you know what you're talking about. Okay. Do you remember the second life?
0: I remember fifteen years, ten years ago? Yeah, years I
2: never ago? I never loaded it, never played it, never did anything, but I was aware of it.
0: You had to have a a fairly expensive machine for it to be. Yeah, I, re- I remember I I think I installed it and used it for like an hour and I'm like, okay, this is weird. It's just weird. Yeah. But, I, I, but I companies were so bought into it. I mean like IBM and all these big companies, they all had their presence and you could, you could actually, there was some kind of way you could like buy and sell stuff. There was some kind of like virtual currency that you could actually Mm -hmm. buy into with real currency or something, almost like, you know, Robux or something. But
2: no, it's unfortunately, it's going to be a thing that will come about and it will judging by what people have spent money on in this last year. Did you know that you can buy virtual land? So there's a, there's a game quote-unquote game, which does not
0: exist yet. Is it MetaLand?
2: Hold on. It does not exist yet, and it's called Earth 2. And what it is, it's meant to be an exact representation of Earth, and they've, they've created this grid, and you can buy a grid of land. And they're trading this land. They're selling this land. So this land has appreciated in value, and people are selling and trading and buying. And it's created this kind of virtual market. These these are bits ones and zeros that exist on a server somewhere that people are paying tons of money for. Okay.
0: And, are and, they, if, are, if, they ha- NF, are they represented by NFTs?
2: Uh,
0: essentially, uh, that's, I mean, that's you're buying what a grid. Like, yeah. yeah,
2: but I mean, you have all these things like NFTs that people are spending money on. These these I don't the Bitcoin not Bitcoin but um, tokens these coins that that are just they shoot they show up one night. The 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 originators get their money, sell it. To the people who are buying into it, and then it crashes. I mean, people are spending money on these scams. Uh, and I, unfortunately, I think places like Metaverse will exist, and it will make money, uh, because
0: there are people out there who are willing to, to do this stuff. But there's no A, there's no, <clears throat> there's no A, <clears throat> like, the Metaverse, is there?
2: Uh, what do you mean? I mean,
0: I, I'm just asking, what the hell is it? It's just a virtual world. It is a thing. Like it, there's someone runs this thing. Like, it, and if I joined the metaverse, it's the same metaverse that you're in. Or yes, what? it's it's meant to be this this global centralized
2: place. Now they might have different servers for different countries, but you would log into the server and you would exist with everyone else on that server. Is this something kind of like feder, federated standardized thing? Uh, I mean, it's just it's just an extension of MMO it's with, like with big VR IR, slapped it's just on a it. Big IRC network. It's just MMO with with VR slapped on it.
0: But <clears throat> but but a. But a it, on any MMO, some company completely runs and hosts and controls that. Yes. Who who runs, hosts, and controls Metaverse? It'll be Facebook. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think no. We're going to buy Metaverse that. is Facebook. Well, Meta is Facebook. Yes, but
2: Facebook is announcing their product Metaverse. Well, is that the Metaverse? It's like
0: the science?
2: No, it's just <laughs> their Metaverse. <laughs> okay. Microsoft will have their own
0: verse. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's what that's what I was asking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, john, i'm john i'm slow i'm old i can't handle these new <laughs> new topics for my brain they don't work yeah i
2: tried to keep up but uh the, I, I found out yesterday there's a huge gap in my knowledge uh according to my daughter
0: i had a thing i'm just looking at our notes here i had a thing on here that i found that i found interesting and it it just it's part of the slack thing but um it got it got a lot of traction on Hacker News and mm-hmm. it uh, an article called You Should Use Forums Rather than Slack or Discord to support your developer community. And probably because most most everyone's using
2: um free tiers and the, the data and So there's a limit on this
0: on attachments and there's also a limit on history. that's that is a downside one of the downsides listed, but it's way down the list. Really? Yeah. Um it's kind of interesting. I mean again. You know, Slack and Slack type things have a very certain certain um, like data model and interaction model. Yeah, it's channels, it's it's threads. messages, it's threads. Um, and Slack isn't that great at searching. And it's not great at searching. It's not searchable on the web from the web. Um, even if you wanted it to be, I guess. Right. Or maybe you, I don't. I don't, I don't they, think it can. They, they could make it i
2: don't think it works that way
0: it doesn't but i'm saying they that's if that was a goal they could i think they could do that probably um and anyway i just talked about how the forums are just that model of like a forum discussion Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is better more effective for and this person's specifically talking about supporting your developer community so i think they're talking about companies that have a developer community like salesforce or whoever um I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it has the
2: hooks for, for Git and everything else, you know, so you can get pull request notifications and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I don't see how it would be any different than a forum. Also, well,
0: you have to read the article.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I'll read the article then.
0: Um, and one of them is that, yeah, Google, Google can't see inside your chats. Um, Which for developers, do you want? Nobody wants their developer chatter on public. Oh, no, absolutely. They do. I mean, think about it like AWS, they want all that. Stuff searchable. I mean, they want their forum searchable. I mean, he even talks about how, you know, a lot of these companies get a lot of their actual revenue producing website traffic to their website comes from their own de- their developer forums.
2: Really? Yeah. I learned something.
0: Um, no, he, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, and he talks about you can't, you're missing out on long tail uh, content um, on these because, you know, Slack ha- definitely has a less, like that whole chat model has. Is much lower friction than a f- like a forum post would be. And so as a result of that, you know, he's saying on things like Slack, you're going to get real flippant questions, not well thought through because you just bang a sentence out and hit enter. Whereas in a forum post, there's just, there's more ceremony involved in, you know, new post and that subject. And then I guess there's a, know, there's, there's a built in uh, moderation kinda,
2: aspect yeah. to it. But he also talks why about
0: stack overflow was created. I'm glad you mentioned that. I think one of his biggest downsides here. Well, actually, it's problem number four, so that's down the list a little bit. But um, less capable moderation tools, and in fact, with Slack in particular, he says actually Discord has decent moderation tools. Slack is does not. Yeah. Um. Anyway, he talks about you know the benefits why why people why people use Slack why companies might want to use Slack why you know these developers are. People that using might want to use Slack, but
2: oh wait, I have to do a mind shift. When you say support developers, you're thinking like Salesforce developer community. Yes,
0: okay. Uh, their development. I'm thinking. Community.
2: I was thinking internal development, like your, your are yeah. Salesforce and your you have uh, your internal dev staff, and I'm like, you don't want all those conversations public. That's what I was trying to
0: say. Yeah, like Twilio's all its all the people yeah. that people developers that use Twilio in their job or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, they have to use their APIs or you know, that kind of community. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. It's just, it was, it's kind of a good just look at uh, the different, uh, to me, there's different models and there's going to be, there's going to be necessarily like advantages and disadvantages to the threaded chat model versus the forum model. And some things like, you know, I think, I do think one of the big ones is less capable moderation tools, but that's something that Slack can add. They can Mm -hmm. improve their moderation tools. It's not fundamentally opposed to their, to their model at all. Right. I don't think it is anyway. Um, They could for, for Slack. Groups what are they called um instances what are slack uh, channels no, 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 not the channels the organization the what does slack call that like when you go to elevation workspace. Uh, workspace yeah, um I feel like if a workspace wanted to be public and wanted its stuff to be Googleable, that is also a solvable problem that slack could could solve that would be that would rank up there with true innovation in terms of advancing
2: it like I mean think about how cds works i mean we're pretty much a private workspace but we invite anybody in right there's there's no mechanism aside from an expiring um link to allow people to auto join into that like you would a forum Mm -hmm. um and, and there's also no moderation which also kind of makes it putting out there kind of risky um i feel like we're kind of we're kind of part of that experiment, aren't we? With with the Slack as a community for supporting developers.
0: I, w- I would think so. Yeah. I'll see why not.
2: I mean, I think it's worked out pretty well. I mean, it's,
0: it's, it's, it's a,
2: for, forums with moderation tend to be, at least for me, a bit. Um, There's nothing worse than Facebook groups, by the way. Which I don't use, but um, it's, it's I guess intimidating for lack of a better word. In that I'm not sure if I'm asking the right question. I'm over searching because I don't want someone to call me out and say someone already asked this. I think I think with with Slack and tools like that, because it's a little less rigid, you're able to kind of ask ask a question and and be okay uh, with someone saying, "Hey, uh,
0: that
2: yeah." But make that's sense. The, that's the
0: thing. The guy's saying you know, you're going to get you're going to get less thought out, more flippant questions on Slack.
2: Sure, but it's also a chance to just have a conversation and say, "Hey." crappy question what, what do you mean or what, what does this mean or
0: expand on this and get more information exactly um I, I feel like you know this is interesting and he also talks about i forget who he works for now i don't even know if he said but you know his his employer they actually have slack and they have um it's either a form or a mailing list mm-hmm. and he also talks about you know there's a reason why developer mailing lists are actually still really popular and it's crazy they are mm. like the, the camel community as an example like they there's a They use this thing called Zulip. Have you ever heard of it? Mm. Z-U-L-I-P. It's like a Slack or Discord, whatever. It's it's completely in the browser, although there's a mobile app. But um, it's channels and threaded conversation, just like Slack and Discord and the things that came before it. But there's also um, two or three different Camel mailing lists, depending on, there's a user mailing list, there's a developer, so if you actually work on Camel Mm -hmm. um, mailing list. And those are also useful. But in they're for different things in different ways. Yeah. And like the mailing list, that's where, that's where we go to, to, yeah, to, to like to post that well thought out question or to make some announcement that needs to go into the annals of that mailing list archive. Sure. Um, yeah. Things just get less for whatever reason, maybe that's just our perception, but they get, things get less lost in mailing lists and forums than they do in things like chats, chat channels. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, especially
2: because we're on the free tier and we lose historical reference and the fact that the searching tools aren't that great. Um, someone could have answered a question that you have and you could search for
0: it, but chances
2: are you're not going to find that, yeah. that answer.
0: And, you know, ma- mailing lists, I mean, this is decades ago they solved this problem. They, they replicated the mailing list to the web. So you can, you can go to the web and, and see all the mailing list activity. It's very Googleable. Mm-hmm. So you can just be Googling some question and it might, it might link you over to th- that message in, a, in the mailing list.
1: Yeah.
2: I think it's a difference in in perspective as well. I mean, I think forums are great as a knowledge base. And I think that's the distinction we have to make is that forums yeah. and things like that are yeah. knowledge bases. They're They're places to go to kind of find information. And I don't think that's what Slack needs to be or should be. I mean, it's meant to be this at least in my opinion this asynchronous conversation this way to replace what would be a face to face conversation with something digital and I think trying to make it forum based might it might lose its identity it might lose its purpose because there's so many other things that can do that
0: it's interesting because I always refer to slack as um asynchronous communication mm-hmm. and I even I've even talked to people about how like the culture of our company it's it's for the most part fairly asynchronous mm-hmm. and that's why we use things like slack cuz it in it supports that that kind of model he's making the point he or she I, think, I, don't know, I don't know oh it's a it's a dude that's what i thought okay um that slack is actually fairly synchronous it it rewards synchronous communication he says you know as, as an example like people can it, uh, it can feel ignored even though the reality is they they posted their comment just at an inopportune moment this feeling can be intimidating i've definitely felt miffed as i asked a question or comment i posted in a slack um and he's like was it wasn't me was it my topic are are other people more welcome here than i am because we we say it's asynchronous but in, for some something about that model that it's it's chat it's live you can see who's on you know it's like i don't know it's uh, and so if you post something it's it's kind of like you're you're definitely expecting that to be more a more synchronous experiment than posting a forum post or s- sending them something to a mailing list and again i don't know how much of this is actually reinforced by these different tools or if it's just in b- embedded in our psychology at this point that that's how these things work
2: i i can relate to what he said about posting something and not not getting any feedback on it and and there is a sense of you know no one responded. And there's a, there is a little
0: bit of a kind of an emotional dip that happens. Like on Slack, you you could post a question and just literally sit there and stare at it for a minute mm-hmm. to see if someone might answer it right now. Yeah. Um, whereas on a mailing list, you would never think to do that. You're like, I'll check it tomorrow.
2: <laughs> it happens to me a lot on Friday because our community is very quiet on Fridays. And that seems to be the day when I'm actually posting stuff on, on, oh, yeah. on Slack. So I get a lot of those emotional dips a little bit. But See, at the same is, time, the I, I rationalize it in my head. I'm like, this is the wrong psychology to have. And this is, this is the psychology that's been reinforced by Twitter, by Facebook, and everything else, where you get immediate feedback and gratification from anything you say or do. Yeah. And that's really not the way we should work, and that's not the way humans work. Yeah. I mean, think about walking to a crowded room, yelling something, and expecting everyone to stop what they're doing, turn around, and respond to you. Mm-hmm. How, how narcissistic is that? It is a little bit. We, we have embedded... This new form of psychology into our brains, this this new Pavlov's drooling dog thing, um, where we post something and we expect to get that gratification, and it's wrong. We we, can't, we shouldn't be reinforcing that. We we can't not use the term dopamine hit. Yes, that's what yeah. everyone always says. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I think it is. I, mean, I, th- I think people do get somewhat of an addictive um, thing out of it. But even if not, I think I think because it is a replacement for communication we almost see it like me walking up to you like i'm what i'm going to walk up to you right now and say hey how how was lunch and you didn't say a word right i'm just standing here
0: looking at you and you're just staring back at me right. not saying a word and, and in in that face to face medium that would that would be weird because it seems like that's a synchronous medium where we are present right and that's that's the mindset i think we have with chat programs yeah. that
2: we're sitting here yeah. across from each other we're trying to interact but one one side of it or both
0: is not but i feel like that's just a misread of what the what this medium is what this model is i think it's a misread because think about it at our company i mean you might drop a message or a question in a in a certain channel Mm -hmm. um and if you don't at mention someone then our culture is we'll get to you when when we have time when we get off this call Right. Or, you know, whatever, when I can get an answer. hmm Um and we we reinforce that as a part of our culture. And and I like that aspect. I do too. Of it because I know. And there are things t- But that to I me, want- that's what's that is asynchronous.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are things that I want to say that I don't need a, an immediate feedback on, or I just want to say this now while I'm thinking about it. And you respond whenever you can.
0: Yeah. And I don't want to bug you right now. Right. I'm not tr- trying to bug you. That's why I'm not going to at- mention you. Yeah. And that's also why um when you do want to make sure someone reads something, you can at mention them. It's also a part of our culture that you make you have to. We expect you to set up your uh, your office hours in Slack so that mm-hmm. I can safely at mention you if I just happen to be popping in or working on something on the weekend, and I, I want you to see something Monday when you get back in or whenever your office hours are. Right. And I know I'm not bothering you right now. Right. Because the rule is, don't be bothered by stuff when you're not on the clock. Right. And it's your responsibility to make sure that you. Are running your, your your business right so that people can at mention you and you're not going to get bothered by it. Yeah, I mean definitely definitely use those, because those tools. I love the feature that if it is an emergency you can because Slack will say hey this person snooze no big deal if it's if you need to you can break through the snooze and I love that feature I think I've only had to use it once ever mm-hmm. but I love that it's there because then it 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 makes people feel okay with setting up those office hours to not be disturbed right because they know that. Someone really needs to get a hold of you. They can. They can either push that button to punch through, or we can do. God heaven forbid, pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. Uh, one other tip along
2: those lines is you can also set up keywords to notify you. So you can say when you see a certain keyword, notify me of that. And, so and if someone also, types, I see have an error yeah, with this, no, and you good. can keep
0: key off of error, and you can get those notifications. And, and that you can, you, but that I think does also play by your office rules if you want them to, I guess. I don't know if there's an option for those to break through that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't remember. Anyway, so this guy, I just saw this Um, at the bottom of this article. He links just to his, uh, he tweeted a survey, a Twitter survey. Mm -hmm. And he says, as a developer seeking tech help for a platform or software package, which do you prefer? And 58% said, forums or discourse? Discourse. Not Discord. I guess that just means talking or async forum slash discord slash async. 28% said Slack slash discord slash sync. And then 13% said something else. Hmm. So by, by a two to one margin, um, I guess these developers prefer async forums.
2: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense in, in terms of knowledge base. I think that makes sense. Yeah.
0: And again, I get, it depends on what, what problem you're trying to solve, you know, how whatever. I mean, how I mean, honestly, I, I don't know
2: where I would be without Stack Overflow. I've and had so many just random questions yeah. or things that I, just niches of things, of issues with tiny little things, not just with Salesforce, but with other languages and things that other people have come across and have been able to see their responses and see the multiple different responses because not one solution fits at all. And, Slack, and seeing that conversation that progression really helps. Sometimes it doesn't even answer my question, but I saw the progression and the thought, the the way they were thinking about troubleshooting it which helped me troubleshoot yeah, my issue. Yeah.
0: And Slack is the runaway winner of, of developer support forums. And look at that model. stack overflow, what do you mean? Yeah, what'd I say? Slack. Yeah, stack overflow. <laughs> I mean, there's, it's not even close. That model is obviously the most successful by far there is. But it got it, it
2: got there through moderation. Their moderation was so strict, but it created some such valuable historical data.
0: And when he goes back through this guy's list, it's like he talks about that moderation. He talks about the long tail. Mm-hmm. That's what Slack is beautiful at. Sorry, I keep saying Slack. Stack, Stack Overflow. overflow. <laughs> I mean, Stack Overflow, you can Google any problem, and there might be only three other people in the world that had that problem, mm-hmm. but you're going to find it Yeah. thanks to Stack Overflow because I always optimized for Google ability. Mm-hmm. And they were very okay with people using Google to search Stack Overflow rather than Stack Overflow's own internal search, which is not a bad search, but I still will all the time. Just Google some problem I'm having and also just includes the word, include the word Stack Overflow, just so mm-hmm. it, or site or colon stackoverflow.com. Right. My, my only complaint about Stack Overflow is that if you're actually, the problem you're dealing with is a stack overflow in some product or library? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of get's problem? Does it? Yes. Do you have to quote it? Like put it in quotations? It, nothing helps.
2: No? Nothing helps. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can do not site. I think you can do. You can exclude the site. No, I, I may be wanting to include. Oh, you some want of the best want, information okay, might yeah. be <laughs> in Stack Overflow. Right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some inception there. It is. Yeah. Well, John, you know, speaking of uh, Slack. We have, a pretty, we, have a, we have a pretty darn good community around this podcast, and we use Slack for it, yeah, we don't do. we? We do. And dear listener, if you're not in our Slack, you should get in now. Go to www.gooddaysirpodcast.com and click on Community. And that's how you can get in. Yeah. We're going to wrap this up? Well, we can. I uh, what, how, Let's time check. Time check. So we're approaching an hour and a half, so we probably should wrap it up. Well, I I
2: did want to do kind of a public service announcement on multi-factor authentication. I think everyone should be working on this now because there's some rules here. I originally thought SSO was not going to be a requirement for multi-factor, but it is. So if you are using using SSO to authenticate with Salesforce and you think that you're not going to have to worry about multi-factor authentication, think again. You are going to have to enable it uh, and it will be
0: enabled. And and, well, I think we need to drill down on that because... This really, conf- I didn't understand what people meant when they s- were saying this, or when, when I was reading this from Salesforce. What they mean is, if you're using sell- SSO to log into Salesforce and sales and you have another identity provider, Active mm-hmm. Directory, Okta, whatever, that Active Directory, when you log in at your Active Directory or your Okta or your One Login or whatever it is, that system must rec- must have MFA, must require mm-hmm. MFA, right? Or you are going to be in breach of your s- contract with Salesforce. And this applies to communities as well. I believe uh, experience cloud types of for things. internal users for internal, experience
2: okay. clouds to external community licenses MFA is not required. Okay,
0: I did, did well. That's a good point. I was just about to say, do people do SSO with their community? But I've implemented that so many times, I'm not even sure why. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have a client who's doing yeah. SSO
2: with external user yeah. licenses, yeah. Um, but it won't be required in that perspective. It's not okay. It's by the license type. Okay and only certain license types. Um but they'll eventually I think get there just because they're trying to move to that security model. Um, but they have to concede that there's certain situations just
0: they're just not a good solution for. Of course um, then you can get into the right hole of what actually is a val- you know a valid m- multifactor what's a what's a valid second factor? So that's all. That's yeah. a that's a conversation for a different day because I think pe- I think that that is often not gotten right. Right. Yeah. But,
2: now With MFA, and I might be preaching to the choir here, but there are multiple ways and you can use them all. So you can use the Salesforce Authenticator. You can set that up and have all your users use Authenticator. Um, Or you can use external third-party tools like Authy and whatever else out there that, that will let you generate a token that can be used to verify to email you that token or text it to you. Uh, usually, the app will have that token generating. So, on Authy, it generates a token. And, and is that is this
0: considered valid MFA?
2: It's considered valid. So, MFA. why is
0: Salesforce's verification code, not valid MFA? Which verification code? Oh, so, it it
2: yeah. I, I guess I'm not sure. <laughs> to be honest, is, I, don't, I'm, I have a lot of questions about all this. I, I think it's because it's a maybe it's cookie based, and it's it's like once you do it once, until you clear your cookies, it's valid or something like that. Oh, that is, that may be true. I think actually. with MFA, it's basically every time you log in, you have to val- you have to authenticate or
0: validate that second. Well, why doesn't Salesforce just then, if you don't have MFA set up, just every time you log in, require the verification code? There you go, problem solved, Salesforce. Everyone's on MFA now. Well, I think that's kind of what MFA is doing. So. <laughs> I mean, I know. I'm, again, I'm trying to figure out what's the difference here.
2: Um, Authenticator is really convenient because um, it has the app. And as soon as it tries to log in, all it does is ask for your approval. Everything's kind of already pre-set up, so all you have to do is approve it. You can approve it on your phone. You can approve it from your Apple Watch, which is really really nice and convenient. Um, should be easy for a lot of users. But here's the caution that I want to ha- everyone to have. Don't assume that everyone's going to put apps on their private phones. You have to solve this at a higher level and understand that when you're saying um, everyone's going to start authenticating and doing multi-factor, that you're asking them to put work stuff on their phone. Um, there's some companies that that Or some mm. people that don't allow that, some people that don't even have phones, um, all these things that have to be accounted for. And in those situations, you're going to have to move to some kind of other type of authentication, whether it's a physical fob with some kind of hardware that they plug that fob into, or um, some kind of token generator key fob as well that they can use. Hardware key. Hardware yeah. token. Yeah. So there's all these things to consider um, that you might not be. You might just be assuming that everyone's going to put this thing on their phone, and I, I would say don't let hey, yourself be Salesforce blindsided.
0: supports hardware keys. They do. Yeah,
2: they do. So they support all these things and I'll put the links in the show notes of, of all Salesforce's documentation and their FAQs of all these questions and things. Um, honestly, don't wait to the last minute and end up scrambling because no one can log into Salesforce. Solve it now, get it done. Uh, Otherwise it's going to be a nightmare.
1: Yeah.
2: I like those Yuba keys. Those are cool. Yeah. It it just seemed like this thing that was kind of hanging on the horizon that everyone's kind of pushing off and delaying. We even need to just, oh, yeah. to enable it. Yeah. Um. But as I was reading all the FAQs and reading everything, I started to think through it, and I was like, "Yeah, there's there's some things to solve here." Um. And know, it's, the it's SSO problem. Not... The the whether or not people are actually going to put your work app on your phone. You know that type of stuff needs to be needs to be thought about. Yeah.
0: And it's weird. Um. I I had to enable SSO in why did I have to do that? I forget now in an org. I think it was, it was either a developer org or I think, I think it was one of my developer orgs and um, it is not straightforward. I feel like this. Oh, the setup process. Yeah. It's, it's very disjunct or disjointed. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, it is kind of weird to set it up and you have, there's like this, I forgot where the, where it is, but you go to this one, one place in Salesforce and there's like these different, um, well, there's different permissions, first of all. There's a like, handful of permissions that are involved in, in multi auth. Yeah, and contractor. there's like these different handshake mechanisms or something that you have to like drag over into this box to enable or something. Oh, like uh,
0: that. that's for what's considered um, high assurance. High, high assurance, assurance. Yeah, yeah
2: mm-hmm. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so it gets a bit tricky understanding all that. Yes. Oh, and also the authenticator, when you have the authenticator on, you can bypass that and use like an Authy or something token. Um, but it's not clear, and I hope Salesforce makes this clear. But you basically, when you get the authy, if you're using both, when you get the Salesforce Authenticator screen on your Salesforce UI, you get this little thing, this little UI that says, "Go check your phone to author authentic, authenticate yeah. or something." Mm-hmm. What you have to do is there's a link right below that that says, um, "Need help or or something like that." It's like something nondescript or like did not need help or something. When you click on that, then you'll get a screen that lets you select the alternatives. Okay, so you can select the authenticator you could select the authy token or there's like another option
0: these are things that you you've already set
2: up yeah these are things so like if okay. if you as a as a company let's say our company says we're using authenticator but i want to use authy. so because i've set up for authenticator it's going to default to authenticator but i can bypass it and say okay. click that link and go and yep. say okay i'm going to enter my authy token click that and then enter it in but it is this kind of unclear way of of getting
0: past that to Choose what your authentication method is. I also say um, there's a PSA out there for everyone using one password, um, especially for people like consulting companies.
1: Right, because we, we have uh, to share accounts. I'm not even sure I want to, yeah,
0: say that.
2: Um, well, it's not that I want to be clear. I <laughs> thought I thought about saying this, too, but it, we have to be really clear. During implementations, we usually get one account allotted to us because we don't always have like a plethora of accounts to assign to every person on our team. Yep. Um, so the client will set up a, a, a shared account and we do our work on that shared account. To me, this might be to me just justifying it, but I think that is a good justification because the client does not have to manage all these different accounts of all these consultants that they have to turn off at the end. I don't, they think, turn I off. don't think
0: any of this is considered justification.
2: Well, I'm just saying one one account for that. Now, if you have this ongoing um, ongoing relationship where you're continually developing and doing, and doing stuff, then yeah, I'd say we're going to have all these accounts, but if we're just doing a, a single implementation and it's quick and we have people hot-swapping on during that implementation, I, I don't think it's an issue. Did I justify
0: it? I, I mean, you just said <laughs> you don't think it's an issue. That's, but I think Salesforce would disagree. Uh, uh, and probably security experts would disagree. Sure, of course. But what I was going to say was, um, so with 1Password, if you have the browser plugin, mm-hmm. um, so when you set up your multi-factor with salesforce one um, password has full support for that so you get the qr code or whatever and then one password can see that now it's set up in one password and so the way that works is when you log into salesforce salesforce will say okay now you have to you need to enter your so you have to you have to go to your authenticator instead of it being the type that you tap it, it's going to give you that cur- that token or mm-hmm. then the number the six numbers or whatever it is right the one-time password well, so you can see that in 1Password. It's going to show you. And you can just hit the button to copy it. Mm-hmm. But if you have the 1Password browser plugin installed, it just automatically fills it instant, instantaneously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all you have to do is just hit enter or say or go or whatever. Yeah. So it's still, it still can be a one-tap experience with 1Password. Yeah, 1Password. That's like one thing I feel like they got right. 1Password just, it's still, it puzzles me. You know, every time they come out with a major new version, just mm-hmm. so much regresses, like with the UIs of these things. I mean, they're still back to now the one password, like all it's the little thing from the menu bar and the thing that pops up right, uh, right under like text boxes that are usernames or passwords They're Now they've, they've gone back to, it's just like a small fixed width and I can't, they're not big enough for hardly any of my entries. Oh, and for ones that, you know, I have, I have a hundred logins to Microsoft. I have a thousand logins in Salesforce. I need a better way to see what I'm to find the one I'm choosing. And that just, it's terrible. And, like, every, every time there's a major version, I have to get back on their support forum <laughs> and complain. Yeah. I mean, they're always, they're pretty, actually, they're, they're really receptive. And they, all, they always, you know, seem to open a case and will, like, ask me for screenshots and whatever. But it's like, why do I have to keep doing this every time? Yeah, I agree. That that part is really annoying,
2: especially when you're trying to trying to name things properly, you know, not shortcut it with a bunch of
0: abbreviations. Well, it's just like, and, and I get it that, you know, I mean, how many years passed between a major one password version? Probably, probably a couple. I mean, maybe everyone that was working on it then, they're not working on it now. So, like, they keep having to, history keeps having to repeat itself. Yeah. Well, some of it is
2: just, you're a one-percenter power user, you know, that uses no, a I lot li- of...
0: I'm not a power I literally cannot see enough information to distinguish I'm, one password entry from another. Yeah, but most people have one Microsoft
2: account. So Most well, people have one Google account. So, they call yeah, it Google. They I call know, it Microsoft. Know, they call yeah. it... Uh, Zoom, you know they don't. They're not trying to differentiate these from from different accounts.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, all right, John. Well, let's wrap this thing up. My my throat's starting to hurt. My voice is getting tired. I don't. I don't normally talk this much. Mm. That's why I don't like to do trainings and speeches and stuff.
1: I don't mind it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And I'm I'm out of my tea too, so I'm like (laughs) I'm like yeah, (laughs) a little dry. (laughs) <laughs> you just said that this whole time. You never drink anything. I don't see how you do that. Uh,
2: I have a water bottle that I left in the car, oh. so I'm sitting here regretting it because yeah. I wish I could drink it. Mm. So it's only because of my forgetfulness. But last thing, uh, next week is Thanksgiving for us here in the U.S. And as I want to say thank you to our community, it's it's a great place. It's um, it's a place where I go to vent. It's a place where I go to get questions answered or just noodle on things. Yeah. Um. to to ask your flippant questions to ask my flippant questions um (laughs) it's also kind of its own thing Uh, i would venture to say most people in our slack community don't listen to the podcast um and i think it's just a testament to the fact that it's just grown as a community of its own it's not centered around the podcast in fact most of our posts about the podcast get one or two (laughs) one or two uh comments on the thread so but um it's it's a it's a really great place and i it helps me continue doing this podcast, I think to have some of that feedback to just know that there's people in this community that continue to to want to help and and share their experiences You're saying,
0: I don't do it for you just the, the opportunity to, to you do it for me talk in talk different me? ways oh, okay
2: you know I need I need that external validation of strangers, and that's what the the community gives me okay <laughs> no but seriously, I just wanted to thank the community for for being there and you know existing for
0: the most part yeah no I, it that's but probably like my, I don't know, I think my favorite thing about this podcast is just all the people that we've met and this, yeah. the community that uh that has kind of formed and i agree very beneficial all right john uh so we do have this community so dear listener please follow my previous instructions if you have not joined our community um i think we're what it'd be 1500 people now no I don't watch that number like you do, but I, I'd well let's see. I, I don't either. I just I mean every once in a while I see it. I don't even know how you see it. Where do you see that uh, top corner or something? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to find it. Anyway, um, also you can send us an email info at gooddayserpodcast dot com. So you can send us questions and suggestions, topics, whatever, complaints, sticker requests. That's it, John. That's all I got. The number is fourteen
2: seventy eight on the general channel.
0: 1478 okay mm-hmm. yeah so help us get to 1500 <laughs> was this youtube like subscribe uh, yeah i know <laughs> make sure you what if they smash that bell oh yeah smash, smash the bell, the bell. Yep. y'all smash the bell for us <laughs> and to that i say good day sir
1: you get nothing
0: bitch look it up it's science
1: <laughs> you lose good day sir
0: <laughs>
4: i'm gonna leave that <laughs> Those guys are great, aren't they great?